quick. We're going to jump into our Joshua series here in a minute. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Joshua chapter 2. But before we start our Joshua series, I just want to bring up a quick note um, on a serious level. Um, So my friend Nate is is a police officer in Perry Township. And so he... I. I hung out with Nate recently and asked him, because I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard that uh, Perry has had um, six suicides in their high school um, just in the last couple months. And that, as a youth pastor, that saddens me, and as a person, that saddens me. But um, I asked him about that. I was like, man, what's going on? And he's like, well, honestly, man, that six suicides is just successful. He's like, we've had more than that um, attempted, and we've had, he said, I get probably six or eight calls every week that I have to go to um, to, to make sure someone isn't going to kill themselves. So I don't know what's going on in Perry, um, but I want to take a second to pray for Perry Township and Perry High School before we get started. And I just want to say, um, because I don't know everyone who's in here on a personal level, um, if, if that's ever something that crosses your mind, um, I, I just want to let you know that is never an option. And I hope that you realize that it's never an option too. I don't know how depressed you could be in life, how lonely you could be, um, how much you can have given up to think that taking your life would solve things. Um, and what we're going to see tonight and what we teach every Wednesday is that if you don't know the Lord, that's the worst decision. It's, it's the worst decision you could ever make regardless. Um, you, you don't realize how much hurt you can leave behind and how much pain you can leave for family and friends. But, but if you don't know the Lord, it's the worst decision you could ever make in eternity because you would spend eternity separated from God. Um, and there's lots of people around here. There's lots of counselors and adults who love you. And if any of you guys ever had life spiraling out of control to where that's even on your radar, I'm not saying that you would even do it, but if it's even on your radar, would you call us? Would you promise me that you'll call me personally? I don't care what time of the night it is. Call me. Call one of these counselors. Um, that's never a legit option. And, and definitely would never want to see one of you guys contemplating that. So let's pray um, for Perry and for the teenagers up there, and we'll get started. God, I come to you tonight, and um, Lord, I don't know what those guys are struggling with up there in Perry. Um, one, one student, one person, regardless of age, taking their life is too many, but there's been at least six and, and multiple kids who have tried or, or thought about it since then, and, and they're on high alert up there right now. So God, we pray for protection up there, um, just at that high school, Lord, that you would be with families of kids who have unfortunately committed suicide, God, that you would um, bring peace and comfort to them. Maybe if they don't know you, they would find you through this mess. Um, God, be glorified even though this hardship is happening. Um, I pray that you'd make yourself real to those who are hurting from this. And, and for those who are in Perry and maybe even down here um, who have had hard times and depression or whatever, God, and have even thought about suicide, God, I just pray that you would show yourself real to them and they would realize that is never, never a good option and it's never uh, the last option. There's always other things that can be done to rectify a situation. And I just pray, Lord, that you would make yourself real to whoever um, is going through that and, and show them that you're a God who loves and a God who cares and, and, and wants to take their burdens upon you. You say in your word that, that we could take our yoke upon, or your yoke upon us because your yoke is light and you'll take our burdens from us, God. So I pray that that's what they would do. We love you, we thank you, and I pray that tonight you would teach us through your word in the book of Joshua. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, f- so for the last couple of weeks, we have started this new Bible study in the book of Joshua. Took us three weeks to get through chapter one. We are going to start picking up the pace tonight. We're doing all of chapter two. All right, so you guys ready? Able to read fast, listen fast? It- it's-, it's really not going to be that bad. Um, we spent a lot of time in chapter one setting up this series, and from, from here on out, it- we're not going to take... Um, 
only a couple of verses at a time. We'll, we'll cover more ground. But tonight, if you grab your Bible, turn to Joshua chapter 2. Um, that's where we'll be. Last week, we finished up chapter 1, and, and we saw, if you remember, that settling for less than God's best is never the best option. It, it shouldn't be your goal. It's the opposite of trusting God, really, because we saw that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh told Moses before they even were at the Jordan River, like, hey, we don't really want to go into the promised land. We just want this land here because they saw it, and in their logic and in their eyes, it was the best, right? It was the best goal. But what we saw is they were actually settling for less than God's best for them, and that's what complacency will do, and that's what not trusting the Lord will do. Uh, so that's what we saw last week, but really to get to this point, what you need to know, if you haven't been here or if you've forgotten, the nation of Israel have, has trekked through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're getting ready to enter the promised land that God has promised them and to their fathers. And they're at the bank of this river called the Jordan River, and they're getting ready in the next chapter or two to cross the Jordan and to begin to possess the land and to conquer their enemies. And so what we're going to see tonight is a story that comes before all of Israel actually going across Jordan. We're going to learn about this new character, okay? So if you go to Joshua chapter 2, just look at verse 1. We're going to introduce this new character in our story. Joshua 2 and what verse 1 says, Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So what's going on is before crossing the Jordan, what, what Joshua does is he takes two guys and he says, hey, listen, before we take all the people and the whole army into this land, you two guys go ahead, cross the Jordan, go to the land and see Jericho and spy it out and see what we're dealing with. Th this is common. If you look in the Old Testament, lots of times before Israel would move, they would send some spies ahead to see what's going on. You know, is it, is it a big city? Are they heavily armed? That kind of a thing. So that they would know what they're dealing with. Okay, so these two men go out, and they come into a woman's house, and her name is Rahab. And we learn that Rahab is a harlot. That's number one. First point, we're learning about Rahab tonight. She's our main character of our story. And Rahab is a harlot. What does the Bible say about Rahab? Well, we know a few things. She lived in Jericho. That's your next blank. She lived in Jericho. That's the city that these two men are spying out. Verse 1 tells us that. Jericho, if you didn't know, is a heavily, heavily fortified city. It had walls surrounding the entire city um, that, that were anywhere from 10 to 15 feet high. And the site of Jericho was actually ex ex excavated. I don't even know how to say that word. I want to say like escalator. Excava excavated. Yeah, something like that. It was excavated by archaeologists in 1907 and in the 1950s several times. So this site is a real place. It's a historical place. And people, archaeologists, have went there and studied it. And what they found at Jericho is that the city was built on a big mound. Okay? The city was set on a hill, basically. It was on a mound. And it had a wall at the top of the mound surrounding the whole city. But it had a second wall at the bottom of the mound, too. So if you can imagine a hill, and at the top of the hill a wall, and at the bottom of the hill a wall as well. And there was even houses in between the walls. Th this city would be really hard to attack because they were up high and they could see it coming. And they had double walls, man. I mean, you would have to literally go through two sets of walls, and they would wipe you out by the time you got there. This is a really heavily fortified city that Israel is going to be getting ready to attack. So these two spies are checking it out, okay? 
Uh, the Bible also says that Rahab lived on this wall. We'll see it in a little bit, but in verse 15 on the screen, it says that her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Uh, do you have verse 15? Yeah, there you go. Thanks. Uh, yeah, at the, at the end there, she dwelt upon the wall. Her house was upon the town wall. So does this mean that her house was literally on top of the wall? Was it built into the wall? I don't know, but either way, Rahab's house was literally at the top. It, it was on the wall is what the Bible says. And actually in the 1950s when they were excavating it, part of the northern wall was found preserved with houses built on top of it. Could it have been Rahab's? I don't know. But, but history and archaeology proves the Bible correct, and they didn't know that till the 1950s. But God's been saying it since before Christ even came to the earth. That's pretty wild that the Bible is correct thousands of years before science and archaeology and historians catch up. By the way, that's how it always is. It's always like that, okay? So that's what we learned. She lives in Jericho, and the second bullet point is we learned that she was a harlot, H-A-R-L-O-T, and that word literally means prostitute. This woman, Rahab, was a prostitute, and this is very important. I don't put this down just because I, I want to emphasize this word. No, I want, I want you to realize, I want you to understand how important this is to the story because this woman isn't just some random lady and she's also not some well-to-do lady either. This, this lady doesn't have her life together. This woman is not a white-collar person who is well-off in society, you know. Th that's not her. This woman is living in sin, selling her body for money, probably to provide for herself and whatever family she has, this woman, she's got problems. And we all have problems, don't we? A lot of us can probably associate with Rahab, not because we're prostitutes, but because, man, I don't have it all together. I've lived in sin. I'm living in sin right now. And, man, we've all got our baggage. But I want you to see tonight that the main character of our story, she's got baggage. She's got issues. She's not a perfect person. She's a prostitute. And she's our main character. And Rahab's house was probably the first house that they came to, and they lodged there, verse 1 says, right? It, uh, if you go back to verse 1, it says, um, go view the land, and they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab, and they lodged there. So, so they, they, they stopped at this lady's house. She welcomed them in. And number two, what we're going to see, or number three, I should say, third bullet point, she hid them. She hid the spies. She hid the spies. Let's keep reading in our story here and see what happens. It says in verse 2 that it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So someone saw or heard about these spies from Israel coming into the land, and they told the king of Jericho. And the king of Jericho, verse 3, sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting the gate, when it was dark, so this is nighttime, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I what not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. She's lying, by the way. She hid them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. So this is what happens. The Bible says that she hid them, the two spies from Israel, on the roof and covered them with stalks of flax. What does that mean? Well, flax was just 
uh, it, it was just a plant that they used to turn into linen and to thread. So she had a bunch of bundles of this stuff up on that she pla- laid on the roof, and she hid the, the spies underneath it. And then she lied to the guys who came to her door and said, well, I don't know. Yeah, two guys did come, but before the gate shut at night, you know, you know how you lock your doors at night in your house before you go up to bed? Some of us do, maybe some of us don't. But they, the town, they would lock the gate at night. And she said, before you lock the gate, they, they, they pieced out. So, so run after them and you'll find them. And so they leave, and then after they leave, she goes and gets the guys. But here's what I want to ask you really quick, only knowing this much about Rahab in this story. Why did she do that? Why didn't she give them up? I mean, the king of her city, I mean, come on, like the president of her city says, hey, two guys came to your house, turn them in. And she lies. She hides them. What? Why? These are just two guys from Israel who are coming to attack her city. Why wouldn't she just give them up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're on the roof? What? Why did she take the risk to hide these guys? Why would she do that? Well, the second thing I want you to see tonight is Rahab's faith. Rahab's faith. And this is going to be the largest chunk of our story. Rahab's faith. Look at verse 8. It says, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. So why did she hide these men? Well, the answer is she knew that God was on their side. She knew that God was on their side. Look at verse 9 again. She said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She knew? How, how did she know this? Why, why is everyone fainting, quote unquote, according to Rahab, at the, at the thought of Israel coming to Jericho? Jericho is a heavily fortified city with double walls made for war. Why are they fainting at the thought of Israel coming? How does she know that God was on Israel's side? Well, look at verse 10. She says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. You know how she knew? You know how Jericho knew about God and about Israel? She heard everything that God had did. She knew because she heard. This might not sound that significant. I'm building a case. We'll get there. Just write them down. Just fill in the blanks. She knows about God. She knows what Israel can do and who Israel's God is because she heard about it. She heard how God conquered enemies and parted the Red Sea so that Israel could go through. By the way, that was 40 years ago. She heard that story in Jericho. She knew because she heard. But what is her response to this knowledge? She she knows about God. She heard about him. What's her response? Look at verse 11. It says, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, notice, he is the God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Check this out. Jericho was a pagan city. They didn't worship God. They were pagans. They worshiped many gods, and they did sacrifices to false gods and to idols. And this lady heard about God and heard about Israel and she knew about what happened and her response was that she believed that Israel's God was the true God. She believed that Israel's God was the true God. Think about this. 
everyone in Jericho heard about Israel and their God and what he was doing and everything that was happening and that they were wiping out enemies who opposed God and worshiped false gods, Rahab's response is to believe, well, that must be the true God. It can't be all these idols in our city because they haven't done nothing. That's got to be the God. You know what everyone else's response probably was? They probably went and begged to their gods for help. They probably went to their false idols. Now, it doesn't say that, but in the Old Testament, whenever Israel comes up against other people, like the Philistines and those guys, they're always begging their false gods for help, help us. So that's probably what Jericho did. Jericho, as a whole, probably went to their false pagan gods and did sacrifices and begged them for help because Israel was coming. But Rahab, when she heard about this God, she believed that he was the true God. Look at verse 12. I want you to see what she does next. Because her newfound faith, her belief, led her to do something. Look at verse 12. She says, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you this kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So I want you guys to see, she asked to be saved. She asked, now don't get, Christian, don't get confused by my wording, by my phrasing. I used it on purpose. I don't want you to get confused. She's not asking Jesus into her life to save her from her sins because she heard about the cross. That didn't happen yet. It's thousands of years in the future. What did she ask to be saved from? Them killing her. (laughs) She asked to be saved from God's people wiping their city out. She asked to be saved from the judgment of God as he wiped out a nation that worshiped false gods. She asked to be saved from judgment, from death, from destruction. Now here's the picture. This is why I walk you through those four things. Rahab knew about God because she heard, and in response, she believed on the true God, and she asked to be saved. Man, if you haven't pieced the picture to get together yet, check this out. Teenager, have you heard about God? Do you know about him? Let me tell you about him really quick if you haven't heard, and I'll, I'll, save, you, I'll save you the trouble. You know, in John 3, 16, uh, Stempy, I've got all these verses up here, so just as I say them, just go ahead and put them up. John 3, 16 says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has a son, and he sent him to this world to die for you and me. Well, why would he do that? Why would God send his son to die? Well, it says so that they shouldn't have to perish but have everlasting life. Well, why? Why would they have to perish? Well, because Romans 3.23. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, Romans 3 tells us that every person is sinful. None of us are perfect. All have sinned and we have been separated from God because of our sin. So it doesn't matter if you're a morally good person or if you're a terrible person, we've all sinned. It doesn't matter who you are. Think of the best person you could ever think of. I mean, when I ask that question to some people, they might say like Mother Teresa or somebody like that. Great. Think of the best person you could ever think of. They've fallen short of the glory of God because we've all sinned. And that's why Jesus had to come. Well, what do, I, what do I do about that? I'm separated from God because I'm a sinner. Well, can I work? Can I do good things to get back in favor with God? Well, no, because Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9 says that for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. There's nothing that we can do on our own to get us back in good standing with God. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. Well, what do I do? What do I do? If I have this predicament that I am that I'm separated from God because of my sin, because God is holy and I'm a sinner, what do I do? Because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 says. Eternal death. Well, Romans 10 gives you the answer. It says that if you'll just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Because verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. That's it. God loved you and saw that you were separated from him by your sin and that your sin was ultimately gonna send you to hell for eternity. And he said, I love them too much. You know what I'll do? I'll go down, I'll send my son. He'll die a death he doesn't deserve, pay for the sin on the cross of Calvary with his blood. And if any man will confess and believe on him, the same shall be saved. That's what God did for us. So now you've heard. Now you've heard, just like Rahab. Rahab heard about this God. So let me ask you, what's your response? Rahab's response was to believe on this God and ask to be spared from judgment. That's what she did. So I wanna ask you tonight, I know a lot of us in here do have a relationship with God, but I don't know everyone. Let me ask you, will you do that tonight? Or will you do what thousands of Jericho citizens did and turn back to their false gods for help? So you hear about this predicament that we're in, and I give you the solution because God tells it to us in his word. So what do you do in response? Will you turn back to the philosophies and the teachings of this world to hopefully uh, get you out of this predicament to help and see what they have to say? Will you place your faith and your hope in the, in the, in the hope that there is no God to try and escape from this wrath of God to, to ease your mind? Will you turn to maybe drugs and alcohol to fill the void in your life to try and numb the pain of not knowing or not having a purpose in life? Maybe you'll turn to sex to validate your emptiness. Everyone's different, I don't know. But everyone has to make a response to God. Everyone has to. Rahab did, Jericho did. Her response was to believe on this God and ask to be saved from judgment. How will you respond now that you've heard Romans 10, it keeps going, it says in verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've heard from the word of God tonight. What's your response? Number three, Rahab's faith in action. Rahab's faith in action. Everything she said so far is just lip service. It sounds really good. It might be true, but we really don't know until we get to verse 18. Verse 18, before that, we're skipping down a little bit, but the two spies agree. They're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. You, I mean, you kept us from being killed. Our life for your life, we'll, we'll spare your life too. And in verse 18, they give her some instructions. And it says, behold, when we come into the land, because they're gonna go back and tell Joshua, and then Israel's gonna come to wipe out Jericho. He, they say, behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. She, she lets the men down the wall, remember her house is on top of the wall, by this piece of red or scarlet rope. She lets them down the wall. And they say, take this line of scarlet thread, bind it on your window, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head if any hand be upon him. 
And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. So here's the deal. Here's the stipulations. The guys say, okay, yes, we'll definitely save you, but there's thousands of people here. And, and we have hundreds of thousands of people coming in this army. So what you're going to do is take this bright red rope, tie it on your window, and then whenever we come, we'll let everyone know, hey, the house that has the red rope hanging from it, leave that one. That, that's, that's Rahab. That's the lady who helped save our life. She helped us out. So that's the sign. That's the signal. But they say if anyone goes out of the house, hey, we, we can't do anything about that. Stay in the house. So anyone you bring into the house, they can be saved. Okay? That's, that's the idea. That's the stipulations. But I want you to go back to verse 18 and notice this. What they tell her first is, behold, when we come into the land, notice that, when we come into the land, bind this line of scarlet on the window. They say, listen, we're, we're going to go home. It's going to take a couple days. And then we're going to tell everybody, and then eventually we'll be back. So when we come back, do this. Look at verse 21. What does she do? According unto your words, so be it, she says, and she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. You know, she hangs it up right when they leave. Why does she do that? Because she ain't playing around. <laughs> she ain't taking the chance that, what if they come back quick, and I'm asleep, or I'm out of the house, and I don't notice? She's like, okay, yeah, when you come back, and then they leave, and she's hanging that thing up, man. She's not getting killed. She immediately acted on her faith that these men were going to do what they said. God's words, she put her faith in and she acted upon it. That's the key. She wasn't taking a chance. The only thing between her and certain death was this scarlet thread running out of her window, so she put her faith in action, believed what they said, and she acted upon it. So can I tell you tonight, teenager, that simply believing in God will not save you? Did you hear me? Because that's what most of America and Christianity teaches. Simply believing in God will not save you. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's just lip service. It takes more than that. Not just believing that Jesus was a real person and he died on a cross one time will not save you. We see that in James chapter 2 and verse 19. Check out this verse if you've never seen it. It says, thou believest that there is one God. Good job. <laughs> thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He says you've got to put your faith into action. You can't just say it. You can't just believe it. I believe in God. Well, good for you, man. The devil, Satan believes in God. You think he's going to heaven? No. It takes more than just believing. It takes something more than that. It takes putting your faith into action. Well, what do we have to do? I thought that it's not of works lest any man should boast. Yes, we already saw, though, Romans 10 and verse 9, right? If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Believing is part of it, but most people stop there. Because you know what confessing does? You're confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You're not just believing that God exists. You're confessing that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and that he rose again, and you want him to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sins. That's what it takes. It's not just belief. You've got to confess and believe. It's two parts. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand you're a sinner separated from God. You've got to understand that, yes, you need to believe in him, but you also need to confess with your mouth that he's Lord. So you can do that. Will you ask God tonight to save you like Rahab did? Will you act on that faith and confess and repent?
It's so important. It's so critical, guys. I don't get paid to stand up here every night and give you a feel-good lesson. I get paid to make sure that you know that you can have a home in heaven if you want it and to show you that God's word tells you exactly how to do it. You don't have to wonder. Here's what I want to direct us to to end this tonight. Hebrews chapter 11 is a really cool chapter. It's often referred to as the hall of faith because in it, it lists several men of God and tells about their faith and it lists men like, like Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, all of these amazing men that you read stories about in the Old Testament. And there's only one woman mentioned in that list out of all of them. And it's not Rachel, it's not Sarah, Abraham's wife, it's not Esther, who has a book of the Bible named after her, it's not Ruth, the other only woman to have a book of the Bible named after her. You know who it is? Check out verse 31 of Hebrews 11. It says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, talking about Jericho, when she had received the spies with peace. You know what saved Rahab? It was her faith. And more importantly, her faith made her great in God's eyes. Yes, Rahab was a harlot. That was her past. But you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you will come to Christ and you will hear what he has to say and you will know it and you'll believe it and you will ask to be saved, you know what? He'll actually do it. He will save you. He will will make you. The Bible says that he will make you a son of God. He'll make you a son or daughter of himself. He doesn't only say, yes, you don't have to go to hell. He puts you in his family. He adopts you. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you don't have a dad anymore. Maybe your dad left. Maybe your dad peaced out. I don't know. But do you know that God wants to be your father? And he's a perfect father, and he'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. God wants you to be in his family and he wants to save you and he loves you. What's your response to that? How do you respond? I think it's interesting that what saved Rahab was a scarlet thread running down the side of her house because the only thing that can save us is look into Jesus on the cross and they pierced him in his hands and his head and they whipped him and he had lines of scarlet blood running down his body. It's almost like it's a coincidence or something right? There's a scarlet thread running throughout the entire Bible pointing you to Jesus. Guys, that's what you need. And if you'll just do what Rahab did, you, you know now you heard about God. I told you about him. That's the gospel. Now what you have to do is believe it and repent. Ask, put that faith in action and actually confess and ask Jesus. Ask God to save you. And he'll do it tonight because he paid for your sin in your stead but you have, to, you have to act on it. You have to confess Jesus because it's the only way to escape the judgment that we deserve, by the way, for our sins. So let me just ask you as we close, if you haven't done this yet, I know a lot of you are Christians, already, I get that, but I'm talking to you who, who isn't. Those of you, maybe, maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but you've never actually placed your trust in Christ. You've just been playing the church game for a long time. Can I ask you, will you do it tonight? Don't leave it up to chance. Do what Rahab did. Don't wait because it seems like you have time. Did you know that those spies, they're gonna go back to Joshua, they're gonna come back, and it's not till chapter six that they actually go to take Jericho, and then once they get to Jericho, they march around it for seven days before they do anything. She had plenty of time, but she didn't leave it to chance. She's like, I'm in now. I'm all in. Don't take the chance because you don't know that Jesus could come back tomorrow 
And you don't know how long your life will last. None of us do. Don't chance it. You know the truth now. Act on it. Respond to it like Rahab. Place your faith in Jesus tonight. Tie the thread in your window tonight. Let's pray. God, I come to you and uh, Lord, I just wanna pray for those in here who, who don't know you as their savior. God, for those who Maybe this is their first time here or maybe they've been here lots of times and they've just never given their life to you. Father, I pray that tonight that they understand that they're separated from you because of their sin. And it's not because, it's not because you want them to be. It's because they are. It's because we in and of ourselves, we have evil in our heart. We have sin in our heart and because of that we could, we could never dwell with you in eternity because you're perfect. You're God. You're holy. You're righteous. And Father, I just pray that if, if, if they realize that tonight and they realize that they're like Rahab, they have baggage, they're not perfect, but judgment is coming and they deserve it. Father, I pray that they would just beg and cry out to you for forgiveness. God, if they will just simply ask you to save them and do what Romans 10, 9 says, to just admit with their mouth, confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that you raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever, anybody, doesn't matter who it is, where they come from, what they've did, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God, I pray that someone in here tonight who's feeling you tugging on their heart, God, that they wouldn't leave it to chance, they wouldn't keep brushing you off, but that they would just commit tonight. I'm in. I want God to save me. I want to change. I want to live for him. And if they'll do that, God, You'll come into their heart and they'll live forever and they'll know that they'll have a home with you in heaven for the rest of their life. God, I pray for those in here today that they would make that decision. And for those of us who have made that decision, Lord, I pray that we would tell our friends, tell those who we know don't know you so that they can have the choice, they can have the option to know you as their savior. Father, I love you. I pray that you'd be glorified and praised by this last song that we sing. It's in your name that I pray, amen.